I told you the first week that I shared along the series that I, that I, I just confessed up front that I was a hypocrite because I fight for simplicity. I don't know if any of you struggle with that, but if I've got five minutes, I want to squeeze something else in or I want to do one more thing. Or, and so I like to have a busy schedule, but the problem is, is that that busy gets in the way many times and it causes undue stress. And so this is not a principle that I have mastered by any stretch of the imagination. It's just one I'm trying to. And uh, the Lord is gracious to all of us. And, uh, you know, but as we've been sharing about this over the last couple of weeks, our prayer is to help you do this, is to cut through some of the noise of life. You know, life gets noisy. You know, it's just kind of whatever's the loudest thing gets the most attention. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I got two toddlers at home and sometimes it seems like they're in competition. Who can scream louder? Because whoever is louder gets the most attention, right? And, uh, and sometimes life has a way of doing that as well. And so our, our, our goal and our prayer for this series really is to help you cut through some of the noise to really find out and get some, some clarity as to what's really important. And that's one of the things that simplicity brings. It brings clarity. And that's very important. We all need clarity in our life. You know, we've shared different principles, different thoughts along this line. You know, but when we get clarity, it also makes our purpose very clear. This is what matters, and that's unessential. You know, I mean, yes, my team lost last night, but you know what? I'm not brokenhearted today. Why? Because it's fun, but it's not eternal. I didn't lose sleep over it last night going, oh, man, why couldn't they just kick the field goal? Couldn't they have just done something? (laughs) Like, just anything... Hey, at least we made it past the 50-yard line this time. Praise the Lord. And uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. That uh, does a few years ago. But, but it does matter what we focus on. And so even through this, we've really been trying to uh, bring about and to help you have some clarity. Why? Because one of the things that clarity brings is alignment. Priorities, right? Things get in the right places. And so clarity kind of says, hey, some things are out of order. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's your job or maybe it's whatever you define as success may have really stepped over into the, the first place, which is really where only God belongs. Nothing else belongs there. Only God does. Or maybe, you know, work is above your family or, or whatever priorities. Well, you need to have alignment. You know, your car has an alignment. It's kind of important. Keeps you out of the ditch, right? Because if your car is misaligned, what happens? It's going to steer you one way or the other. Like, well, my car's just kind of drifting. No, you're out of alignment. You know, and that can happen too in our life is that we need to make sure that our life is in alignment with the word of God. And so we've been talking about these things over the last couple of weeks and we've shared lots of thoughts and, uh, you know, different principles and ways to do this. And, uh, you know, but this morning I'm going to kind of jump on the, on what I shared last week with you. Uh, and I just want to really boil it down to really the most simple things. I have two things for you this morning, two, and they're not rocket science. We all know them, but yet this is what all of life boils down to. This is as simple as I can make it when it comes to living a simple life. If you have your Bibles, you can turn or click or you can look on the screen. We'll have these verses up here, but in the book of Ecclesiastes, which you're like, where is that? If you know where the book of Proverbs is, go right. And uh, you'll find it. Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon, who is considered the wisest man to ever live. He was brilliant. You know, David was a conquering king. And yet he 
you know, did a lot as far as conquest and to expand the nation of Israel, but yet Solomon actually conquered more ground and he wasn't a warrior, but he was extremely wise. And so this is at the end, really, of Solomon's life, King Solomon's life. And it's always interesting to me, I mean, even in autobiographies and, and things like that, that I, re- I always want to know what people are talking about right at the end of their life. Why? Because that's the thing that matters the most, right? It's like the whole sum of their life, and this here is the whole focus. And here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I'm going to start in verse 12, but King Solomon writes, and he says, My child, let me give you some further advice. Because that's really what this book is all about. He's sharing kind of his last nuggets of wisdom with his children, if you will. He says, Be careful, for writing books is endless, and much study wears you out. Now think about this. Solomon is the wisest man to ever live. And, and his, he says to be careful of writing all these books. And also that much study will even wear you out. He says, now there's nothing wrong with education. I'm all for that. That's not what I'm saying. It's not a pass to be like, see, pastor said I don't have to study, mom. That's not what I'm saying. Because you do get a grade and you're going to need that grade to move on. It'll be kind of important. But he says in verse 13, he says, The whole story, he says, that's the whole story. And he says, here now is my final conclusion. In other words, here's my final thought. If I'm going to tell you one thing, here's my one thing to share with you. He says to fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. Fear God. Really, that word could be no God. Know God, like intimately, personally, at a, at a very real level. He says, know God, obey His commands, for this is everyone's duty. Another translation would say it like this, is to know God because this is the very reason that you were created. It doesn't get much more simple than that. Why were you born? To know God. But I thought I have a purpose. You do. Your first purpose is to know God. Not in some theoretical, mental kind of way. I mean, in a very heartfelt, real kind of way. You know, I I grew up in church. I knew a lot about God. I just didn't know Him. And when I met Him, I realized how little that I... Because I used to think I knew Him until I met Him. And then I realized I didn't know Jack. I really didn't. I had all this head knowledge, but there was nothing real to me on the inside. So just coming to church doesn't mean that you know God. Just just saying the right things doesn't mean that you know God. Here, Solomon says, to know God, that fear there is not in an afraid kind of way. It's a reverential. It's an honoring. Like, God, I recognize who you are. Therefore, I'm going to live my life in a way that would bring you honor. In verse 14, he says that God will judge Us for everything that we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So that pretty much summarizes our life. Living away in this life for that day. Because there is coming that day. How many of you realize that? For every one of us, whether saved, unsaved, Christian, doesn't matter. Every one of us is going to have that day. You know, I recently heard a guy say this, and I thought it was pretty good. He said, the only days that matter are this day and that day. Because this day is going to show up on that day. 
You're like, what are you talking about? The day that we stand before the Lord. That's why I want to know him. Because I don't want to go stand before him and be like, Lord, I did all these things. I went to church. I did all this stuff. And he says, yeah, but I don't know you. That's what's going to matter in that moment is knowing the Lord. So my first nugget, if you will, this morning is we are to know God, not about him, to know him. Like in a very real, very personal way. Last week I shared with you uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. He says, I want to suffer even in the sharing of his death. The Amplified Bible adds it this way. It says, this is the Apostle Paul, and he says, that I may know him experientially, personally, in a very real way, not in some, just somebody else's story. And it says, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. You know, it doesn't matter if you've been saved for five minutes, five years, or 50 years. There's a progression of, of, of learning about who Christ is and, and who God is in our life that is supposed to be a continual process that ne- we just never arrive. We never get to that place where we're like, I'm here. No, it's a continual, perpetual process that God is working. God is a God of process. He is. He, and, and here's why. Because he is committed to our good. You need to hear that. God wants us to grow not so that we can be better because it's what's good for us. The more I can walk in line with God's word, guess what? The more of his presence I'm going to experience in my life day to day. The same is true for you. We are created to know God very personally, very intimately. Jesus prays in John 17. And he's praying over us. He's praying over his disciples. But And I'll show you this here in a few minutes further down. But in verse 3 it says, This is the way to have eternal life. To know you. He's talking about knowing God. To know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ. The one that you sent to the earth. The only way to eternal life. The only way to experience heaven. That, that my life is going to be good moving past this life. Is to what? To have eternal life and it can only be found in Christ. There is no other way. You're like, well, that seems pretty narrow. It's free though. God doesn't charge us. He, he doesn't say, hey, you got to jump through 59 hoops and do this and do a backflip and do that and get all this stuff straight. No. He just says, come the way you are and come and, come and meet me. We can take care of those other things as we go, as we walk. But just come to me, know me. And Jesus says, for that to happen, we have to know God. Like in a very real way. Another verse comes out of Ephesians chapter 3. I don't think this one will be up on the screen for you, but I wanted to point one thing out here. The Apostle Paul is praying over a group of believers. And he, he I'm picking up kind of mid-thought, but he says, I pray from his glorious unlimited resources that God would empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. And this is the key thing I want you to catch. Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. This is the mark of actual spiritual growth. It's not knowledge, it's trust. 
There's nothing wrong with knowledge. We need to grow. We need to understand more and more of the word of God. Yes, we ought to. But knowledge without trust just leads to pride, right? That's what the Bible says. Knowledge puffs up, builds up. It it self-promotes. But yet here it says that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. It says your roots will uh, grow down in God's love and keep you strong. See, our relationship with Christ actually grows deeper the more that we trust him. You know, as long as you have agreement, you don't really have trust. In other words, let me say it this way. As long as I agree with everything that God says, I read the Bible and I'm like, oh, God wants to bless me. Yes, praise the Lord. Absolutely. I have agreement at that point. But trust comes when I read the word of God and say, I don't want to do that. Now I have a decision. Because it's not something I want to do. Am I going to... And this is really the foundational verses of, of, of this series, if you will, is Proverbs 3. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Well, trust comes when I say, I don't want to do fill in the blank. But just because I don't want to doesn't mean I can't or that I won't. What it simply means is this is not my idea, God, but I trust you. I trust you. This isn't what I want to do give you an example. Like you need to forgive that person. I don't know about you, but I have rarely just been overwhelmed with the emotion of saying, man, I just want to forgive them. (laughs) Has anybody ever had that thought? No, the thought that comes is I want to kill them. (laughs) God, could you kill them for me? I've got a list. God, if you could just take care of them, that would be great. But yet the word of God tells me what? To forgive, to love, to look over people's trust. I don't want to do that. But yet I have to trust God that he says, look, forgiveness is actually for your good. Why? Because if I don't deal with unforgiveness, offense happens. Well, Proverbs says that a a brother offended is harder to win than a well-fortified city. So we don't want to get to the place and yet we don't have in our feelings. And you're like, well, how does this affect my relationship with the Lord? It absolutely does. You only got one heart. You got one spirit. You don't have multiples and you don't have zones. You know, we like to, in our culture, we really like to compartmentalize. I'm going to be Christian here and not so much over here. And, you know, well, but this person did this. Therefore, it justifies my behavior and. Yet we read scripture and it says, don't do that. Like, dang it. You ever had any dangits when you read the Bible? You're like, shoot, Holy Spirit, leave me alone. Quit talking to me. We can talk about anything else but that. This is what I've learned. If there's ever anything but that, the Holy Spirit's only going to talk about that. And so it's like, let's just deal with this and then we can move on. But right now, that's going to hurt you. We have to learn to trust. As we learn to trust God more, we actually come to know Him more. Everybody likes to talk about living a life of faith. It's just hard to do it sometimes. Unless we're willing to just say, God, I see the the storm of my life. I see what's going on. But I'm going to keep my eyes on you. 
I'm not going to disconnect. I'm not going to pull away. I'm not going to blame you for the storm. I just know you're God in the storm. You, you didn't bring it into my life, but you are with me and you're going to see me through it. That requires trust. Now, it's hard. It's challenging for all of us. None of us have just got this thing figured out. And you never just get a lock on it. Like, just, yep, I trust God in every area of my life. Something's coming. Something's coming. Because the moment we think we get just it all figured out, something that we didn't figure out comes up. And we're like, oh, shoot, I didn't factor that one. But we have to learn to trust God more. That doesn't mean to trust him because I understand. There's lots of things that I don't understand, but yet I choose to trust in God. I don't understand this. I don't understand why that happened. I don't, I don't see all of these things. And yet, God, I still know that you're faithful. God, I still believe that you love me. You're committed to me. You're committed to the, the purpose of the reason why you created me. I mean, it's interesting to me to look back in my life and some of the greatest parts of pain are today some of the greatest areas that God uses me to minister out of. Why? Because he's redeemed it. He didn't bring the pain, but he did pay for the pain. He hung on a cross for the pain. And now because of what he's done in my life, those are the areas that God works in a tremendous way. And the same is true for you. It's not because I stand in front of people and talk about the Bible. The Lord wants you healed and whole so that he can now use you to heal and help other people. That's the way this thing works. But guess what? You have to know God. You have to, to trust him to come into that pain, to heal it, to redeem it. Because God has a plan. I mean, the Bible does say what the enemy has intended for destruction, I will turn it around Right? And I will bring about goodness out of what the enemy intended to destroy you. God says, hey, I'm going to give you a platform. Now, it may not be like this. It may be to reach one person. It may be to lead a small group. It, it, it may be to minister to somebody at one of your kids' games. Maybe at work. You say, hey, can I just share with you what the Lord did in my life? And and you're able to, to step into that moment and minister to that person. And that's what life's all about. So we're to know God. That is our first and our highest calling. If we're going to really look at, at living a simple life, that's number one. There's nothing else that can be above that. Because priority matters. Alignment matters, right? We've got to cut through the noise and that's got to become focused for us is that, man, this matters. Over in John chapter 17, Jesus, this is the continuation of Jesus' prayer. I would encourage you uh, to go and read John chapter 17 this week, just to kind of get all this in context. But this is right before Jesus ultimately goes and, and lays down his life. But this is kind of his prayer over his disciples. And here in verse 14, he continues this prayer and he says, I have given them your, world, your word and the world hates them. If you don't know. The enemy hates you. Like, well, it's the world. It's the enemy. It's the world system. It's not necessarily just people, although there are people who are very committed to this world system, and therefore they're not going to like you. You might as well just wrap your brain around it. Some people are just never going to like you. It's not because of you. It's because of whose you are. 
That's the problem with people pleasing. Try to make everybody else happy. I'm only here to make one person happy. Well, really two. (laughs) Really two. Jesus and my wife, you know. As long as I'm good with them, I'm pretty good, you know. It says the world hates them, verse 14. It says, uh, because they do not belong to this world. We do not belong to this world. Verse 15, this is such an interesting verse to me, but he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. How many times have we prayed a prayer like that? God, just remove me. Just, just save me. Just deliver me. Just take me out of here. Teleport me. Just get me out. Just beam me up, you know. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. To keep them safe from the evil one. It says, verse 16, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. See, Jesus makes an identification with every one of us. You don't belong into this world system any more than Jesus himself does. Verse 17, he says, make them holy by your truth, by your word. It says, teach them your word, which is truth. Verse 18, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. How can we be sent into a world that we're asking God to take us out of, right? It's pretty hard. That's why Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them out. I'm sending them into the world. Verse 19. He says, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Verse 20 says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in their message. Jesus is actually praying this over you and me. Because he says, I'm praying for every disciple who will ever hear this message, who will ever believe. Not just these who are in front of me, but for everybody. See, Jesus talks about this here and it really ties into the, the second principle, the second point that I want you to grab hold of. Your first one is, you're to know God. But here's your second one. And again, these aren't anything new. But the second one is this. We're to make God known. If you're going to boil our life down, it's really about the, it's that simple. Now there's a lot of details that I understand that, but the, the, the core essentials are those two things. I'm to know God and I'm to make him known. I'm to share my faith with people. I'm to be a light in a dark place. I, I'm to, supposed to be, you know, like even when you go into, just say your job, it may be a very carnal environment where you're called to be light. Not to conform, you're called to be light. Young people, as you're in your schools, you're not to conform, you're to be light. You're supposed to be a difference. You know, as I said, I grew up in church. But the last couple years of my high school life, if you will, my freshman year, I went to a certain high school that just went into a state of chaos. And so my parents decided that they needed to move me. And they put me into a Christian school, which I was really not happy about. And, uh, you know, but for several years, I went to that school, actually two years, I went to that school and I was anything but polite, especially to Christians. I made fun of Christians. I talked bad about them. I, I, you know, I I mean, and I don't mean just behind their back. I'd say stuff to their face. I'd sit in chapel while people were, were sharing what the Lord had put on their heart and I would make fun of them. God has a sense of humor. 
But the truth of it is, is that the reason that I did that was because I was jealous. Because I didn't have the guts to do what they were doing. To be who they were. You know, and so many times we get so hung up on, on I'm just going to live my Christian life in this little secret thing. And I'm just going to do my thing. I'm just going to be quiet at work. And I'm going to go, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to share my faith. And yet, it's the very purpose that we're here. It's, I mean, it, it, we're to know God and to let other people know about him. One scripture says it this way, is that we're to, to, to display the glory of God. Colossians, it says that we're to be the visible image of an invisible God. The visible image. I mean, just a thought, but people can say, well, I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen God. Well, if you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. That ought to be our heart's cries. That, man, we're, we've been so transformed into the image of God that people, when they see us, they're like, man. Now, they may not say, hey, you look a lot like Jesus. That's not how they're going to say it. They're going to say, there's something different about you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's a compliment to me when people say that. They may not mean it that way, but that's the way I take it. (laughs) You're a little strange. I am a peculiar person. The Bible says I'm peculiar, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's been set apart unto God. Yes, I am. Thank you. I don't want to be normal. I see normal and normal is not the life I want. They're stressed out. They're getting divorced. Their life's falling apart. All these things. I don't want to be normal because normal's not working, right? I want to be abnormal. Not like to be weird for weird's sake. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus wasn't weird. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. I like to say it like this. People like to say that the Holy Spirit made them weird and it's just not true because they were weird before the Holy Spirit. Now they're just trying to blame him for it. It's like, no, no, no. You were weird before. You were saved. You're weird after you're saved. You're still just weird. That's not what I'm saying. No, we are to be a light to those around us. Matthew 28, it's the verse 18 through 20. It's the great commission. Jesus came and and tells his disciples. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and in earth. He says, therefore... So really what Jesus is saying, look, I've been given all power and all authority. Therefore, because what he's really saying is because I'm giving it to you. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. This is our call. And if we'll make it a priority, I mean, this is what I've learned. If I'm looking for opportunities to reach people and to touch people, I'm going to find them. If I'm not looking for them, I'll walk right by them. It's not that the opportunity wasn't there. I mean, Jesus even told the disciples, he he prayed, he, he said, lift up your eyes because truly the harvest is plenteous. People need Jesus. It's going to be my, my translation here. People need Jesus. They're just waiting for the invitation. And the problem is we're not talking to them. We're not sharing with them our story. There's nothing more powerful than your testimony. Why? Because it's your testimony. I've had a number of people throughout my life. That, 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 I, I say that about being weird because they're like, man, I've heard about your kind of people. And I've always heard y'all are weird. You're not weird at all. You're just normal. You just love God. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. But we are to what? To help people. It's a journey. And it's more than just praying with somebody and saying, all right, I got my spiritual check. No. Biblically speaking, when somebody gets saved, it's actually our responsibility to walk with them. We don't need a bunch of spiritual orphans running around. I'm going to walk with you. That's part of discipleship. That's really what that's all about. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus talking to the disciples again. He makes the statement. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Telling people about me everywhere. Telling people about me everywhere. He didn't say some places. He said everywhere. Everywhere. We ought to be looking for opportunities. God, is there a, you know, you may go to a certain gas station every morning. And you see the same clerk every morning. And you could just be kind to them. Hey, God bless you today. And then one day the Lord's going to say, hey, why don't you say this to him? Mm-mm. No, I ain't. Give me my coffee. Let me go. Lord, there's people in here. But you don't know how much that person needed to hear what the Lord dropped in your heart for them that day. And you may not see anything in that moment. But maybe a few days later and they'll say, Hey, the other day you you said you would pray for me. I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciated that. I, I was really in a... That's a perfect opportunity. Hey, do you know the Lord? Not trying to be weird. I'm just asking a question. Would you like to know the Lord? I have a good friend of mine who was a car salesman for years. I think he got more people saved and filled with the Holy Spirit than he did sell cars. That's not, and actually, he was a really good car salesman too. This is no joke. Selling cars. I got a car and I got salvation. I can give you both. Which one you want? You know, and I, I mean, unbelievable. He's, I can't even explain it. He, he, he's probably one of the greatest soul winners that I've ever personally known on a personal level. Not just a preacher that stands in a pulpit and preaches, but somebody who just does one-on-one. I mean, you, you didn't go a day or two without him. Oh, yeah, I pray with somebody. I pray with somebody. I pray. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. He just, there was a gift in him. But the Bible says that we would receive power from the Holy Spirit so that we could be witnesses. So that we could be witnesses telling people everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So city, state, country. That's really what that's all about. And then he says to the ends of the earth. So everywhere. Everywhere we're to share the gospel. You know, this week I mentioned that I I went up to Dallas for a conference for a little one day deal. And I had the opportunity to be in kind of a small setting with David Green. Now, some of you don't know who David Green is, but trust me, you know his store. It's called Hobby Lobby pretty big store you know and he was sharing about really about legacy and he was sharing about kind of his family's approach and it was very interesting um you know but he he talked about uh that his parents had this plaque because his parents were believers and you know many of you know the story of hobby lobby i mean they took on the federal government and won and all kinds of crazy stuff when everybody said hey there's no way you can do that no you know he shared that you know when they were battling uh, really what they went to court for was that because they weren't going to prescribe four medications specifically because they were they would cause the death of a baby which they said is a violation of our morals 
And so they didn't say they wouldn't provide other things. They just wouldn't provide those four. It was going to cost them $1.3 million a day. A day. (laughs) I was like, golly. But he shared, and it was very interesting listening to him talk, because he talked very little about business. He talked a lot about his family, and he talked a lot about his relationship with the Lord. He's like, the business is the easy thing. I said, that was actually the statement he made. Business is the easy thing. He said, the other two are the hard things. Those are the things I have to be intentional about. I mean, his business makes $5 billion a year. That's crazy. $5 billion a year. And and he's talking about it like it just doesn't even matter. Because guess what? It actually doesn't to him. I mean, look, I don't know the man. I was just sitting in the room with him. But you could tell that's not what was of value to him. But his parents had this picture frame in their house that he said, because they were asking him, you know, how do you have this perspective in life that all of this could go away in a moment? It's not a big deal. I mean, even in the court case, he said, if we lost Hobby Lobby, it was never mine to begin with. It was always the Lord's. If he wanted to take it, he could take it. And it's just kind of thinking like, you realize that's your job too, right? And yet he had this, this anthem, if you will, that was on this little plaque in his parents' house. And I'm going to share it with you. And he says, we have but one life. And soon it will pass. Only what we do for Christ will last. Only what we do for Christ is going to last. That's kind of like the motto of their family. Not just him. I mean, started with his parents and it's come to him. And now they're at generation three and four. That they're just sending this through. We have but one life. And soon it will pass. Only what we do for Christ is going to last. When we stand before God, he's not going to say, hey, give me your financial records. Tell me all the the cool things that you bought. There's nothing wrong with stuff necessarily. There's something wrong with it when it has us and we don't have it. There's a difference there. No, when we stand before the Lord, what are we going to push to his feet? Is it just natural things? Lord, here's the people. Here's the souls that that I was able to reach. Here's the the people. And it may have just been a a gracious, kind word here and there. It may may not be what we deem as great things. Sometimes just our life speaks louder than our words. And people are always watching. Whether we realize it or not, people are always watching us. They may never tell us. They may never say a word to us. But people are watching Well, you don't know how many people you impact on a daily basis. You come in contact with lots of people every day. In the course of a week, that's hundreds of people. In the course of a year, thousands of people. And you never know what even just your life, the way you live, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you treat people, you're being a light. So don't allow the enemy to minimize who you are. You have no idea the impact of your life. But there will come a day where we're going to stand before the Lord. And we're going to see really the substance of our life. And I believe we'll be just blown away. It's like, Lord, that's, you, that's not my life. That's somebody else's life. Like, Not realizing that we impacted so many people. So as I'm wrapping up this morning, I want to, you know, and it ties in with what I was just sharing with you. Is that as we live our life, it really boils down to this, is that we are to show the love and the compassion of Christ to everyone around us. 
the love and the compassion of Christ. The Bible says, because so many times we want to throw around heavy spiritual words, legalistic words. Well, the Bible says that, that Jesus, John chapter 1, was full of grace and truth. He didn't have one without the other. No, he was full of both. And he gave both out. That's who we're called to be. And if we'll live a life that does that, I believe we'll impact a great number of people. See, one of the things that many times, that, especially for people on my side of the church, like, oh, I want to build a church. I want to build a church. No, I want to build people. That's my goal. I want to build people. Because the church is just, I mean, what we call the church, it's just this building. This church, this building is not going to heaven with us. But guess what? All of us are going there. We'll all be there together. Because people is what matters. It's the heart of God. One last little statement for you before we conclude the message. But I don't remember where I first heard this, but it was a number of years ago. And it's just stuck with me. And as I was preparing this message, it just kind of came back to me is that what we do in this life will echo for eternity. See, this life is temporary, but don't minimize its effect because what we do in this life will echo throughout all of eternity over and over and over and over again. What we do in this life matters. I'm not just trying to buy my time until one day I stand before the Lord and go to heaven. That, that's not the goal. The goal is that I want to live a life here that people talk about in heaven. That's my goal. Not in a prideful way, but in a way that, man, I gave my life to the Lord completely. Holy. Didn't hold anything back. I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. We could all make that statement, by the way. But we want to live lives that what? That put us in a position, in a place to what? To know God. Because you can't tell somebody about Jesus if you don't know him. You can't describe a God who is loving and caring and faithful if you don't know him that way. So you got to have the first one in order. Order matters. So you got to have number one first. You got to know God. And when you know him, then you can start telling other people about him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?